Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. Today's guest has been a university professor for over 15 years. She has taught and touched the lives of thousands of students by bringing real-life examples into her classroom discussions and empowering her students to think critically and to become more aware of themselves and the world around them. Back in 2009, she was curious to understand how do children with dyslexia learn, which then prompted her to pursue and complete her PhD in education and learning for children with disabilities and special needs. During this episode, we discussed her journey through the field of education. She shares with us some of her experiences and challenges she faced along the way and provides deeper insight into what it means to be an educator and the importance of mindset when it comes to learning. She has been a close family friend for many years, a previous professor of mine, and if you went to AUD, then chances are she taught you as well. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Nadira Alborno. Hi, hi Khaled, good to see you. Good to see you too. Mm-hmm. How's it been with this whole crazy corona thing going on? Well, we're trying to be educated. Yeah, so for, sure, for sure. We're definitely uh, keeping with the social distances, uh, distancing. I think it's uh, it's an obligation. We all have to really take part in this. And it's going to be the only way to really protect ourselves. Um, we shouldn't be paranoid about it because I think we'll end up losing sleep and this will mean that our immunity is going to go down. Yeah, for sure. I think just take care of ourselves, really keep the social distancing as much as we can. As educators, we're we're lucky to have technology. Yeah. We're lucky to have such a very good platform and uh, we're actually doing it. Yeah. For the last week, we did it uh, and it was very successful. The feedback from the students was very good. But, do I want to keep doing this? No. <laughs> Interesting. What, what makes you say no. that? Um, I think to really achieve transformative education, transformative learning, you need the human contact. Yes, it is giving you the closest possible contact, sort of, you know, interaction. And we're doing interactive learning. It's not, I'm not just uh, um, recording things for my students. We're actually having real-time uh, sessions. And uh, we're using something called Blackboard Collaborate. And okay. uh, using that, actually, we can even go into uh, groups. I can put them into groups, and they can do interactive working. And the students can then present. So all the activities that we usually do in the classroom are actually possible. Okay. We're doing them. And within one week, the students took seamlessly to, to, the, to the skill. And the feedback was excellent. But I think about... You know, the, still, the, the human interaction, uh, when you feel with others, it's the feeling, it's looking, in, although I am looking in their eyes, but still through a screen, it's not yeah. the same. Uh, you, can, you can give the knowledge, you can impart the knowledge, you can uh, teach, but you cannot touch lives. Yeah, and this is what I'm missing, and that's what my students are missing. Really, it's interesting because nowadays um, there's so many ways to learn online. Mm. You know, from Coursera to even YouTube. If you want YouTube, you can probably search yeah. for anything that yeah. you want. Yeah, and I use it. I use it a lot, and I and I direct my students to use it as well in their classrooms and to learn. And there's so much to learn out there. And as I said, you learn a lot, but yeah. you don't touch lives. That's the difference. So, and that's why I believe. I believe so much in transformative learning, in, in 
helping the students to sort of unlock their potentials. And this needs human interaction. I'm going to tell you what I did when yeah, this whole technology uh, online learning, and I'm talking about a few years back, I said, well, you know what? I teach technology when I used to teach uh, computer science. I thought I'm, I must try it for myself before I can talk about it or tell people that this is uh, an option. I tried it and I keep, I'm, I'm still using it because you want to learn new things and whenever there is and you want to be current and you want to really know what's happening. I teach teachers, so I, since I'm teaching teachers, I need to be able to tell them that I tried this, this works, this does not work. It's all happening so fast around mm. us. Yeah. The thing is, I tried uh, courses with, um, they were from the University of Harvard. So they okay. were at very high quality courses. Yeah. And some of them were like a month, two months. They're wonderful. They're wonderful. And I learned a lot. But again, I learned, I got knowledge, I got skills. But I did not get the connection with the professor. While when I, when I attend a conference where I actually get connected with these, you know, creative brains with these creative people sure. and I get to have that connection and speak with them about my experience and they give me feedback a direct feedback and I feel they're you know looking at them and speaking to them it's a different the, the memories of those few hours stay with me mm, while sure. what I learned on the internet is knowledge that I use yeah but there is no it doesn't move my heart. Sure. It doesn't make me become somebody. Yeah. You know? no. And that's what we need to do in education. So it's interesting that you say that uh, you mentioned transformative learning. So, mm -hmm. and you feel that the a human impact is, cru or the human connection, as you said, is crucial to have that effect. What makes you, I'm curious, what makes you say that in terms of why is the connection so crucial to having that sort of impact? It's something I see every day okay. as part of my teaching. Um, in my classroom, in my office, it happens every day because in the classroom is one thing where the students, you need to give them a safe space uh, so that they can share because you want them to share to share who they are in the classroom. Okay. That's one thing. And you as a teacher, you need to know them to be able to teach them. Okay. So you cannot, you cannot teach people when they're like just away from you. This is how I am, at least. I feel I need to know my students and I know them through sharing experiences in the classroom. As I, I'll start from the beginning. Sure. Creating a safe space in the classroom where they can share who they are. They feel secure to make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. It's, okay. uh, mistakes are celebrated rather than um, looked down on. Sure. Uh, they take risks. They're willing to do that. So creating that space, I'm still not sure how this can happen online. Okay. It's still there is the, there is the screen between us. Mm, there's you know, there a, is, a barrier. Even if, I fee, if I'm trying hard to create that connection with the students, they cannot create it within, easily within, within them, themselves, within the group. Mm. All this needs the direct contact. Um, I see it, as I said, in my office every day because students come after class and have questions and want to sit with you and discuss and, and really understand your point of view and want to share who they are. As we, we always say, and many thinkers say, we all have stories to tell and we all want someone to listen to our stories. Mm. And this is what you provide your students with. Do you feel the online, uh, the online forum, for example, that barrier that you were talking about, is, there, is it a... Uh, 
is it a distraction and that's why you can't create those uh, those kind of you know questions L- let me go back to the forum sure. now the forum is very good and i use it actually even when before we had to do online learning the forum was a continuation of the classroom because a lot of students used to find it difficult to speak in the classroom not everyone have is used to that kind of social interaction, sure. yeah. especially when the classrooms are larger in size. So what I usually do is I create a discussion group after every class where students can actually write. And I, I usually would put like a, a question, like a question to 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 push them to think further. Okay. okay. And then I require them all to say something. So they have to sort of reflect on the question and then speak with one or two other students or reflect on the answer of two or other students. That helps a lot students who are, I would call, more introverts. You know, they sure, find yeah. it difficult to speak in the classroom. Yeah. While on the on the, on the uh, internet, uh, they find it easier to speak. Mm. So, but this way, you actually cater for both. That's why I, I like, I think, after this corona uh, yeah. thing, I don't think we're going to go back to where we were. I think definitely we're going to start using online more. And I see hybrid as being probably the more of the solution for the future. A bit of both. A bit of both. A bit of both. Uh, I, I think I'm, I, I feel now I don't have to cancel classes anymore when I travel, when I have to go to a conference. I can still be in contact with my students, but live contact. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes when I travel for a conference and I have to cancel a class or sometimes two classes for any other reasons, the students, when they come back, they say, we missed class. It was hard. We felt disconnected. Disconnected? Yeah. They, they use the word disconnected. Interesting. Because there was no interaction. And sometimes I notice it even in their feedback. The feedback changes. It becomes less the depth is less when yeah, there's yeah. less connection. Mm. So now I can see this can be a great solution that when we, and I feel very comfortable doing it and that the students feel very comfortable taking part in it. Taking part as well. So I, I don't, I, it's great. It's, that's, that's would be, I would say, a positive. But uh, I wonder how the world is going to take it after. Um, I have actually many doubts and many questions because I think like, Maybe many parents are going to think like, do we really have to send our kids abroad and, uh, you know, take all that, those expenses, take all the risk mm-hmm. while they can do it online? True. You know, they, they did it online for three months. And it's for many reasons, could be for financial reason, for also for some kids maybe are not, some kids maybe are not as uh, responsible, not as mature, let's say, mm. to be abroad on yeah. their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think online learning is definitely going to be a different a different way of looking at it. Yeah, for sure. But also it's going to show us, hopefully, I really hope that a lot of people are going to look at it and think, oh, we need a teacher in the classroom and the value of a teacher in the classroom because they're going to notice also what we are missing exactly. if we go to online, complete online learning because the interaction between a teacher and a student is so fundamental for growing and learning no, for sure. <clears throat> sorry for sure uh, do you think the f- in the future we'll get to a stage that online learning is just going to completely replace the traditional classroom uh, that you're talking about i hope not <laughs> <laughs> i really hope not not okay. because it's my job because i can do online teaching easily but um i really hope not because the interaction as i said the face-to-face 
the social skills that we, the students get by looking at their teacher moving in the classroom is very important. You know, the students learn a lot in the classroom other than just the knowledge and this and the skills that the the curriculum requires. Okay. They they learn something from looking at their teacher from moving in the classroom, from even how she dresses, from even how she talks to them, from how she connects with them. There's a lot more than just the knowledge and the skills that are part of the curriculum. And this will be lost. I don't see this happening online. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of other problems with online as well. I mean, there is, I mean, with technology in general, we, we've been having these problems in the classrooms. Um, the technology has brought a lot of problems like plagiarism, like cheating, mm-hmm. you know, which has become... And I think technology has also, which you might find um, strange to say that, but it has stifled thinking in many ways. Stifled thinking? Yes. Okay. Look at, at the 10 years old. When you ask them a question, do they, do they think and reflect or do they run for Google? Probably run for Google. They run for Google. They look for solutions on Google. They don't sit and think. Mm. I think it has stifled thinking. Okay. Okay. Now, this needs a lot of coaching from teachers to students about the use of the internet. I'm not against, I use it all the time and I look for solutions all the time. But being from an older generation where we did not have all these Google resources, we were, we were coached to think. Mm. We are used to thinking. We know that we have to sit and give ourselves time to think. I don't see this happening in the new generation. I see them looking for the quick solution. Mm. And that's why I say it stifles thinking from one side. On the other side, it opens horizons, of course. Of course. It opens a lot of horizons. But this needs um, children and, and teachers to be aware of the risk. The risk? Because there is a risk there. Uh, one thing is stifling thinking, as I explained. But the other thing is also the amount of knowledge that is out there is can also be overwhelming. For sure. That you cannot learn. Sometimes it can stop you from learning. Because what's happening is the amount, it becomes like, and a lot of them, because there is so much, people are looking at knowledge as sound bites now. Yeah. No one's going deeper. Yeah. You know, when you read a book, a 300-page book from beginning till end, what are you doing? You're not just getting knowledge. You're getting time to think. You're getting time to reflect. This doesn't happen online. Yeah, online is very quick, very instant. Very instant, very quick. And that's why the, inform- the knowledge is inch deep. Mm. It, students are not going deep enough. To, as I said, reading a book, even if it's a novel, I see students in, in literature classrooms, they go for the quick ones also. They go for summaries. They don't read the books. They don't read a 300-page novel, novel anymore because there are so many summaries and reviews on the internet and there are questions and answers and uh, there are reflections. So why bother read the whole novel? But you see, you lose the whole point because reading a novel means living someone's life means traveling with that person to new places meaning seeing seeing and and really living the experience of another person and that's the real education yeah 
That's actually a very interesting point because I found that as well. So when I started, I really got into reading over the past few years. Mm -hmm. And I used to, so I started with this app called Blinkist, which would give you... Blinkist, of course. Exactly. That's the problem. Yeah, I, I consider Blinkist is the problem. Yeah, no, I, I, totally, I totally agree. So I would read it. It would give you the top 10 tips from that book, the mm -hmm. top 10 lessons. You'd mm -hmm. read it. I'd be like, okay, cool. But when I started reading books, to your point exactly, that's when I really like when I like you said when starting a book from A to and finishing it the mm -hmm. whole that's when I really appreciated what the book was trying to teach mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. and the context and like you said the journey and the story mm -hmm. that you go on with with the author as well yeah. so I totally agree with that so but so this is again this these are problems that we're having as teachers from use of technology another problem is distraction uh, This generation is the generation of distraction. The, the, one of the biggest problems that our teachers are coming back to me all the time in the classrooms and complaining about is focus. Mm. Kids are not able to focus. For sure. And every other kid now is considered an ADHD case, yeah. which is not the case <laughs> yeah. really. No, they're that's not. true. Yeah, they're not. It's just the amount of the, the fast pace of technology, the very quick... Uh, gratification that you get from technology makes makes um, perseverance uh, to become less and less. Yeah. Because to read a, a novel of 300 pages, it requires perseverance. For sure. requires you to be able to be patient with the boring pages so that you can get to the, you know, the nitty-gritty stuff, to yeah, the yeah. enjoyment. But on the internet, you don't do that. You're reading a page, it gets boring, you go to the next one. There's another link somewhere. And there's another link most of the time that will take you somewhere else even, not to the same topic. Mm. I mean, does it happen to you that you start searching for something and an hour later you find yourself reading something else completely? 100%. All the 100%. time. 100%. And hopefully you find, don't find yourself playing a game or doing shopping. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> does that even, too. Yeah, not yeah. even learning. Of course. So this is something that does not happen in a book. So that's why we need to be very careful about teachers need to be aware of this and need to be aware of how to coach students mm. to focus. But yeah. we need to do it with ourselves first. Of course. And, and uh, acquire those tricks yeah. of how to focus when we are reading. And you know how I do it? I'm, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that actually publicly, but I print If there is, a, if there is um, uh, an article that I like, I print it and I read it out of paper. Oh. Yes, I do still kill trees, I'm sorry. <laughs> But it's, it's my way of focusing. Because if I start reading it online, you know, the, all these things flashing around, does it, it, I have not succeeded so well with reading online. So when it's really something important and I want to go deeper and I want to reflect and I want to take notes, I actually print it out. Old school. What can I do? No, I but it's working for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's a that's a that's a great tip. Actually, actually, I require it from my teachers. So when I assign articles for them to read, I insist that they have to print it and they have to bring it to class, and I need to see their annotations really? on the page. Now, some of them, the younger ones, the more technology savvy ones, mm -hmm. they use a lot. There's a lot of apps that you can actually take notes on, uh, and they use their iPads and they take all the notes and then they show me that they've taken notes they've reflected and I say okay well I can't I can't make someone do something and sure. as long as they're doing it and they show me that you see we we focus and we don't get distracted that's fine but again I think what they said though 
because you said, because you talked so much about it, because you warned us, then we started making the extra effort to pay attention. Mm. And I think it's the biggest problem nowadays is paying attention. Paying attention, 100%. Paying attention, and we say paying attention with intention. So you uh. intend to pay attention. It doesn't mm. just happen by it. Because some of us are better at it. But if we make it an intention to go deeper, then hopefully. <laughs> you mentioned uh, something very interesting that you, you coach teachers and you also uh, coach or teach students as well. So maybe it'd be interesting to walk us through what the differences between those two things are and maybe some of the challenges mm. you face. In yeah. Well, b- my career has taken a shift uh, 10 years ago. Okay. When Because I used to be a computer teacher I remember that was my background I remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah you were one of my students <laughs> yeah, exactly and then um, in 2009 actually uh, I decided that I'm I need to reinvent myself reinvent. I decided a, a point where I felt like there is something more that I need to do uh, I, I loved I realized that I loved teaching because okay. my background is computer science I used to work in a bank as as a programmer and then as an, a chief analyst But then when I came to Dubai, I I tried teaching a course and I fell in love with it. So I don't have an education background, but teaching for 15 years in uh, in university with with uh, with students at a beautiful age, the 17, 18 is I think it's a challenging age to keep their attention. Yeah, for sure. And but it was a wonderful journey. I learned so much from my students. I learned how to teach. I learned that uh, that you need to know students to teach them. A lot of the theories that I learned later in life, I actually learned from being on the job with my students. So in 2009, I decided that I need to go further into education. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning by doing, I felt it has reached a stage where I need to know more. Okay. So I decided to... Uh, of course, along the way, I was doing a lot. I was learning a lot on... the online mm. doing a lot of courses online about teaching so yeah. that i i do it the right sort of the right way because i was inspired by a lot of teachers online of how they do things but i felt there's must must be a lot more and that's what that was one thing the other thing is my interest in special needs in teaching students with special needs that got me to want to investigate and explore that even further so i went for my phd mm-hmm. uh, so it's 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 a feeling that I always have. Now I'm at a stage again, uh, eleven years later, where I feel like, okay, I need to next also jump. Re- next. What would be the next sure. jump? What do yeah. I want? And I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking that it has to be. It's probably going to still be in education, but what can I do more for education? Um, moving teaching students was at university level was very interesting as i said i learned a lot from students but the challenges are different the challenges with the students were from the challenges with teachers the challenges with students was um was engaging them and keeping their attention and and trying to make them really enjoy the classroom and uh, and a lot of students were there because they had to especially because i taught a course which was uh, 101 introduction to computer science and a lot of the students who came to the classroom came thinking that they know a lot more than they think probably yeah. feeling that yeah we will we use computers all the time why do we have to take this course 
I would say I succeeded maybe 80% of the time to make them believe that they still have things to learn. <laughs> sure. But it was a challenge. So keeping their attention, um, making them excited about learning, uh, instilling in them the joy of learning was a challenge. Yeah. Um, making them feel that being at university, uh, and I used to stop classes, if you remember, and say, okay, enough computer science, let's talk about life. Yeah, I remember Let's that. talk That's about true. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does technology do for you and your life? And and where are you with, with learning? And do you understand your responsibility? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Are you here just for looking for a job? And I, so I used to talk a lot about life because I think this is what the students need is, is, to, is to find, to, is to empower them to find mm. their calling, to find the meaning of life. It's not about finding a job. That was always what was in the back of my mind with students okay. in university. With teachers, it's different because teachers are there because they really want to learn. They know why they are there. We're to, I'm talking to mature people, to uh, men and women in their 30s and 40s who decided after a while that they need to reinvent their, themselves. So they were more like me. They wanted to reinvent themselves. They want to find new ways of teaching. They want to become better teachers. So they have their calling. They have, they have, what my, my, my problem with my, or my challenge with my teachers is to take them away from the old way of learning because we teach who we are usually. Okay. We tend to teach who we are. We teach the way we were taught. That's true. And yeah. now our teachers are in a completely different place, a different generation, and they have to teach totally differently than the way they do. So taking them away from that, trying to disengage them from that. And uh, so that's one thing, is that they have to teach not the way they were learned, but a different way. Different way. And the second one is to make them take risks and not to be afraid. What do you mean by that? To not to be afraid to make mistakes. You know, okay. when you're a teacher, you're in a position where you're the one with the knowledge. You're the one who does not make mistakes. But I need them to make mistakes. I need them not to be afraid to make mistakes. I need them to take risks in the classroom, with me, in my classroom, yeah. and also with their students. Mm -hmm. And not to be afraid of that. So that's the fear. You know, going over that fear with the teachers, and especially when you're you know, as you get older, that usually taking risks can become a challenge with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And they feel they have to make it right. And funny enough, the teachers are worried about grades. They're worried about their grades. And I was like, no, you're not here for grades. Mm -hmm. You're here for the journey. You're here for learning. You're here for to, to, to reinvent yourself. Forget about the grades. I have to give you grades just because, you know, you have to pass at the end of yeah. the time. But that's not why we're here. I would say a large percentage of them get that. Okay. But it's a tough journey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a tough journey to push them out of their comfort zone. Sure. It's not easy. <laughs> no, I can I can totally imagine that. Uh, you mentioned something interesting about uh, them being scared to make mistakes. Maybe you could uh, share with us maybe some mistakes you probably maybe made in the past and how you've adapted your learning style over you know the past yeah, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, feeling walking into your classroom and thinking that you have the knowledge is the biggest mistake. 
as a teacher. Really? Because if you feel that you have the knowledge and you're going to stand there and impart the knowledge, then that is your point of failure. You have to walk into the, that. That's what I used to do a long time ago. I was the one with the knowledge. I was the one who knew. But I must say, because I was teaching computer science, I learned my lesson early. Because many of these students who came into my classroom were so technology savvy. Mm. And especially when I was teaching like new software or new hardware or new applications, they were definitely way ahead of me way ahead of me they had more time they had more interest they were more they were quicker than me in learning these apps so i learned my lesson well is that i do not have the knowledge i will construct the knowledge with my students with them with them so we build the knowledge together so you walk into the classroom and you say i have knowledge i definitely have background i have uh, i have certain skills but you are going to help me we're going to work together to construct knowledge and this is a theory by the way it's called constructivist learning okay where you actually you construct learning together and that's how learning become joy uh, joyful mm. this is the joy of learning because if you're just sitting and listening that's very boring yeah but sure. if you feel you can play part in constructing your own learning and knowledge. And that's, that's all the new theories, all about that nowadays. And that's, I think, the biggest step that I made is, is, is really believing in that and even designing my lesson plans accordingly. So when I design my lesson plan, and this is what I work with my teachers, we design the lesson plan based on constructing knowledge. Yes, I do have a pathway and I do have outcomes that I want to reach. Yeah. But even those outcomes have to be flexible. They okay. have to be flexible uh, 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 outcomes that can be reinvented in the classroom based on the needs of the students. And you, you mentioned something very interesting that I think a lot of people forget about that uh, when we're talking about the human connection aspect that you mentioned and how each student is a different person. And Absolutely. you have to adapt your learning styles to different types of, pe to different types of people, different uh -huh. types of personalities. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could share with us some of the challenges. Yeah, well, this is, this is actually the, the, the main subject that I, I teach or I share with my teachers, which is called differentiated instructions. How okay. to differentiate the experiences, the, uh, the learning, the assessment, mm. uh, the curriculum itself, how to differentiate it so that all students with different needs, with different levels, with different backgrounds, with different cultures, with di they are different human beings, different intelligences. How are they going to take this knowledge? So this is how we design the experiences in the classrooms to be differentiated. And that's one of the differentiation, for example, the one I mentioned, is, is we keep the learning offline as well. Uh, we yeah. keep the learning on the discussion group. So this is a differentiation because some of the students might not feel comfortable being engaged in a discussion in the classroom, sure. but they are more comfortable being engaged with a, ve with a lot of depth. And also, sometimes now you're asking me questions, right? And I'm sharing with you what comes to my mind. Later, I might reflect on what I said and what you asked, and I have a lot more deeper Mm. Deeper thoughts, deeper, yeah. deeper thoughts, and 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 only sharing them will help me to sort of exercise them, uh, criticize them, understand them more. Only by sharing them and hearing other people's reflections. Mm. So this this is differentiation. Okay. Another type of differentiation that we use a lot in the classroom is uh, based on the actual assignment. 
The so assignment itself. The assignment itself. So, for example, you give a certain assignment. Now, uh, I'll give you an, an example from my classroom, and then I'll give you an example from a K-12 classroom. Okay. So, in, a, in, in my classroom, uh, I teach a, a class that's called uh, teaching in a multicultural classroom. Okay. okay, and it's all about knowing the other, how to know your students, how to understand your students. We look at all the theories, we look at all our assumptions, beliefs, uh, how they hinder us from knowing the others, biases, prejudices. These are very important to actually uh, explore and understand for teachers because they, the minute we walk into our classroom, we walk with all that. We walk with all our assumptions and beliefs and biases and all, and this is what we. This is how we teach our students, and this is how we look at them. So teachers need to be aware of that. We look at all the theories. One way to, one assignment could be, okay, write a reflection on one of the theories and reflect that on your teaching, and we do that. Okay. So this is one of the assignments. But then I wanted an assignment that could be more personalized. Personalized. For each person. So uh, the assignment was, you need to find another person from another culture, from another nationality, from another, speaks another language. Uh, look at your biases and assumptions. Meet another person and have a conversation with that person and have a reflection on the life of that person and then write MMO. This is personalizing okay. it because each one of these students have a different assumptions, have different backgrounds, have different privileges, have different beliefs and, and biases. So providing them with this chance to actually test their own beliefs. At the end of the day, they're writing a memo, okay, or they're writing a reflective memo, or they're writing an essay. Yeah. But the content of the essay is theirs. Yeah, it's personal, it's to, them, personal. to them. It's personal. There's, we're, 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 um, we're ticking a lot of boxes, if you want. We're ticking the box of writing, because a teacher's writing has to improve. We're ticking the box of critical thinking. We're ticking, uh, uh, ticking the box of... of uh, you know, the literacy part of, of things, the reflection part of things. But more important is the personal aspect that we're bringing into here, yeah. which makes all the difference for the teachers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. For K-12 teachers, uh, a, a, sample, an, uh, a very simple example is for math teachers. When they, when they make their problems, when they write their problems, that students have to solve the, these problems, they personalize them. Sometimes they personalize them with the names that they are using. Mm -hmm. They make them relate mm -hmm. more relatable for the students. They make the actual problems that they're writing about the context where the students live in. So it's not the problem that is in the book, which relates to some other culture probably so far away from us. Okay. But they make it more relatable to them. So the students see themselves in the books, see themselves on those assessments. They, they will make more effort and they become more engaged. Yeah. Well, um, it's very, it's really, really interesting because uh, there's a. It sounds like there's a lot more psychology that comes into teaching that I honestly myself even have ever thought of before. Yeah. So, like, this yeah. is very. It's one one of me. the first subjects that teacher all teachers have to do, which is a, a one on one for teachers, is uh, a, a human development, growth and human development, which is a psychology course. Talks about how the psychology of children, understanding every stage, and this is what I always tell my teachers. You teach your content, you don't actually teach content, you teach children. So when someone asks you, who are you? You don't say, I'm a math teacher. You say, I'm a teacher for children. I teach people, I teach human beings. Mm -hmm. It's not the, co the content, you can teach any content, sure. but teaching human beings. And that's why I encourage them 
depending on what uh, stage you are teaching, read more about the psychology of that stage. So if you're teaching uh, elementary, teach, uh, read about the psychology of you know, uh, five to eight years old. If you're teaching teenagers, read about teenagers. If you're teaching uh, young adults, teach up because every stage, every development stage is different than the other. Mm-hmm. The challenges are different. The biology of the body is different. And that needs to be known by the teacher so that she can connect with the students. And the way I guess people take in information as well is also different. At totally different. different. Well. Absolutely. Every stage is different. So uh, what I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned children. Uh-huh. And I know that your PhD was, uh, sorry, revolved around children with disabilities and so on. So I think it'd be interesting if you could tell us a bit more about that. What Mm -hmm. how was the journey of doing a PhD and Mm -hmm. what impact has that had on how you teach now? Absolutely. Um, the, The interest in in children with special needs at the beginning, I was fascinated with dyslexia mainly, which is the difficulty of reading. Reading, And I thought it was the whole world, you know. (laughs) That was my very little knowledge. And I was very interested in how you can teach students with dyslexia to read and to succeed. And, um, but when I've opened the door (laughs) to understand all kinds of disabilities, it was fascinating, it's a fascinating word. And if anything, it taught me that we are all, we all have special needs. We all have special needs of some kind, and it's only diversity that we have to look at. It's, and we all are different. Okay. Yes, it is students with disabilities who will need maybe some extra, um, a, diff- a different, I wouldn't say extra, I would say a different way of teaching, a different way of, of uh, supporting. But if we look at every student as being different, and needs a different way of learning, then we take away the stigma from students with disabilities because it's diversity we're all different mm-hmm. you see for example i wear lenses okay now if i don't have my lenses or if i don't have my glasses then i'm disabled i'm disabled i can't read i can't see i can't drive i can't i can't probably socialize Interesting, see? Yeah. so i then i have this accommodation which is the, the glasses or the lenses to help me be able to communicate with the world this is how we should look at disability. It's it's not that because you see, as long as we look at disability as um, as a category, mm. a separate category, sure. then we are actually stigmatizing and we are being unfair and there is no justice and we will never be able to be uh, to give equity to students. Uh, let me actually just explain this uh, concept that okay. I learned very early on, and it really changed my way of, of teaching. Please do. The difference between equality and equity. Those two words are, sometimes I, I think it's blurry for a lot of people, the difference. Equality is giving everyone the same thing. Okay. You know, that's equality. Okay. Everyone should get the same thing. Equal. But actually, that's not what we need. We need equity. Equity is giving each person what they need to succeed what they need. Imagine, it's a very uh, well-known picture on the internet that everybody knows it, where you have three little kids and they are different heights and they're all watching a football game and there's a barrier in front of them. Now, think about the height of the barrier. Okay, so they have the tall guy who can see the football game, but the other two cannot see the football game because they have a barrier. They're all standing on the ground Okay. okay, we're going to give a box for each one, the same box. 
Okay, because we give them the same thing. We teach the same thing to everyone. Mm-hmm. So everyone is standing on a box. The tall one did not actually need that box. So it's not going to use it. The middle one stood on the box and could watch the game. But the, the shorter one, even on that box, could not see the game. Can okay. you see the picture? Yeah, yeah. yeah? yeah, yeah I see so what, what we need is the taller one does not need that box. The middle one needs one box, but the, little, the shorter one needs two boxes. Mm. So you see, how can we say equality? We need equity. equity. But so that was like that was like 10 years ago. We are going to give the students with disabilities different accommodations and different modifications to the curriculum so that they can learn with other students. Of course, I'm talking about inclusion, mm. including all students in the same classroom, because we believe that. OK, I'll talk about inclusion later. Let me just continue with equality and equity. Sure. OK. <laughs> So this, this, is, this is the image. So we have a barrier and everyone now have different accommodations, different boxes so they can see the game. Okay. Now we looked at life and we said, all right, so you're going to give the students always something different. What happened in the classrooms as a result, those students were sitting in the same classroom, but were always sitting separately because they need something different. Okay. okay. What happened? Yes, they are there, but they're not socially included. Maybe they're learning at their pace with the other kids, but they're not socially included. They are not connecting with other kids. They do not feel that they are the same as other kids. And, and we, we feel that we're doing the right thing because we are helping them to be with the same. They're in the same schools, they're included, they're everything. The new way of thinking about it now is no. Let's work on the barrier. Instead the of giving different, instead of diff- giving different Uh, boxes to stand on why not try to eradicate that barrier why take that why not take that barrier away so all students could be standing on the same grounds okay and they feel that they are part and you would say but how can that happen I have a student who's blind in my classroom or I have a student who has uh, intellectual disability or I have a student who have dyslexia in my classroom how can that happen it can if I design my lesson from the beginning to be flexible. 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 So my outcome, instead of my outcome, is write a paragraph or write, a, yeah, write one paragraph that includes the following 10 words. Instead of saying write, okay, because maybe some students cannot write, I would say describe a situation okay, using this number of words. Now describing can happen by writing, can happen by narrating, can happen by modeling, can happen in different ways. And this way, I'm not saying that we are, of course, this is a very complicated and needs a lot of, uh, a lot of explanation, a whole course actually, or more. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm just giving it as an idea about sure. the flexibility. Mm. And that flexibility has to be in the mindset of the teacher. The teacher has to have that flexibility instilled in her that she really believes that all students can learn. They all can learn. They learn on different levels. They reach different potentials. They reach different levels at the end, but they all can learn. Mm. And they all can get to the, uh, to the core of my outcome. So the outcome was understanding. Mm-hmm. Of course, now writing is a skill that we want all students to. Some students maybe will never be able to write. That's fine. That's fine because there are certain, you know, abilities that are not there. There are certain um, uh, uh, motor skills that are not there. That's fine. But 
if I have a flexible outcome like this, then I will probably help 99% of my students to reach the ability of understanding and comprehension. Mm. While if I just be boxed into a verb like write, and that's the only, and I, and I consider that verb equal to comprehension. It's, it's restrictive. You, you understand what I mean? Yeah. It's trying to be flexible about what is learning and what is really, what is really the main objective that I want the students to get to. It's very interesting that you talk about disabilities in that way and how the example you used about, for example, with the lenses and how without that, you know, you're mm. uh, to a certain extent, you have some disability Absolutely, as well. yeah. Um, and it's all about changing that mindset to mm. not see dis- disab- children Disab- with disabilities or special needs as different or or a a group on their own because Mm. they're not a group on their own you see disability is also as varied as everything else Uh, you cannot say okay because some of the teachers say we need a curriculum for students with disabilities how can you have a curriculum for students with disabilities and they're so varied i mean think about a person with a with a vision impairment is totally different than a student with a hearing impairment it's totally different than a student with learning uh, difficulties these are these are needs if we look at the student as a whole profile and this is what we we need to know the profile of the student the profile in terms of biological uh, traits in terms of cultural traits in terms of abilities we need to know all this when we can create a profile for the student then we can learn uh, we can teach accordingly okay you mentioned uh, social inclusion, and it uh, sounds like there's some importance surrounding that to the whole context of actual Absolutely. learning. Absolutely. Okay. Now, I- inclusion is is actually it's it's a concept that has been uh, I don't, I can't say there's one definition for it, but it's about being together. It's about the the human experience together. It's about living together. It's about driving away from injustice of isolation. Because it is an injustice uh, to be isolated. And all that idea that they had before, which is um, separate but equal, failed miserably in the U.S. There's no separate but equal. We have to be together to learn to live. What we say always, when we we, uh, learn together, we learn to live together. Ah, So if you start from the beginning, as uh, two children in KG1, uh, a student who is, we could say, typically developed, and another student with uh, with a disability. It could be a physical disability, it could be a vision, a hearing impairment. If that student is included in the classroom, in all the activities, with accommodations, with with uh, with of course assistant teachers, with technology, with but. The, the his colleague is learning with him in the same way and seeing that his colleague maybe requires uh, a computer sometimes, maybe requires, and he has the option to use it as well. It is The option is available for everyone mm. because you'll be surprised. These options that we make available, which we call assistive technology, okay. which we make available for students with disabilities, if we make them available for everyone, they are actually, they help deeper learning for everyone. I'll give you an example, a simple example. Okay. You, your English, you're fluent in English, right? Sure. You're watching a movie. If there are captions in English, don't you feel that you understand it more when you read the captions? It, foc- it makes me definitely focus more on what's being said, right? for sure. Exactly. For you, it helps you to focus more. For a student with hearing impairment, it's a must. 
he will not be able to know to learn without the captions for for an older person who's hard of hearing it's a it's a it's a godsend yeah, they can sure. enjoy they can enjoy a movie yeah, yeah. for for a mother who is maybe uh, maybe putting a child to sleep she can enjoy the movie See what I mean? The example, simple example, but it shows you that an accommodation, a simple accommodation, like captions on a video, yes, they are a necessity for uh, someone with a hearing impairment, but they are wonderful for everyone else. They help the learning for everyone else. Another thing is ramps, for example, to buildings. Okay. Now, ramps to buildings, we understand that these are needed to provide accessibility for someone in a wheelchair. But they provide accessibility for a lot of other people. They provide accessibility for someone with a hip problem because they can't go on the stairs mm -hmm. so they can walk on the ramp. Okay, They help someone on, on, on crutches. They can help uh, a mother with a stroller. Someone who has to wheel in furniture inside a building or a bicycle. You see, So these accommodations that we make, that we think they are there to help people with disabilities, they are there to help everyone. 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 And if we, are, if we become of this mindset, then we start designing our life and everything around it in a way where it's accessible to everyone. So the simplest accommodation can have the biggest impact for, for Absolutely. all. Absolutely. That's a very good sentence. That's a very good sentence. The simplest of accommodations can have the biggest impact on the whole society. Yeah. And that's the, that's the new way of thinking about inclusion. So social inclusion is about providing our, our uh, children with um, disabilities, whatever it is, if it, if it is severe disabilities, where learning becomes very difficult, but providing them with, with the life experience, with the ability to socialize with other people. Because even if you have severe multiple disabilities, you still have a way to socialize because socializing is a human need. 100%. Okay? Beside the point of Forget about forget about the A's and the grades and the and the math and the science and the physics and the chemistry. You don't. Yes, we need them, and we need a lot of people to become experts in them. But not everyone needs them in their life. Some people can live a full life without physics and chemistry. Okay, but w to actually have a full life, a full a full social life, where they can be very productive as well, because they need to be productive. They need to be. If we don't allow people with disabilities to grow and to become productive people, we're actually we're actually leaving a big sect of our our society to become um, uh, to, to become dependent on us, where they can be independent and they can be productive citizens, and this is what we hope for. You mentioned, um, I love that you used the children example because this is a question or something I've been thinking about for a long time. So. As uh, most people, I went to school, you know, grade one, to, uh, grade 12, graduated, went to university and did, you know, the whole standard education thing. But now that I'm older and with the life experiences I've had, I've felt that when I reflect back, I feel that I was never taught the right life skills, I think, to be productive in, in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, like you said, I learned physics, I learned chemistry, I learned math, I learned all of these things that nowadays i think maybe it would have been more important for me to learn about things like mindfulness to learn about things like um uh, uh for example like how, how to how to even how to speak to others how to start a conversation like how the, to exactly the like life, life skills, skills the life conversation skills. the uh, connecting with people exactly yeah so do you think that 
traditional schooling systems nowadays you know because mm. i feel they're still stuck in how you know in mm. the old days mm. do you think those need to be changed and are they still relevant into for today's society okay i have a fear from that sentence is okay. that I, the fear i have is people th- running to technology okay and running to all this uh, new ways of thinking and mindfulness and this has become such a buzzword now mm-hmm. i want to take to go back to traditional schooling okay. and tell you how traditional schooling could really build the future for us if we think about it as real learning. Okay. I'll tell you, you, you talked, let's take mindfulness sure. and let's take social skills. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nowadays, they're talking about them a lot and, they're, and we have all these happiness exercises and uh, they want to bring all this coaching to schools and all these big buzzwords that can be empty sometimes. Because they can, yeah, because they, people are looking at them as something that was never there. Well, I can tell you they have been there all the time. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all these great minds that we have nowadays because they are the product of public, of, of, uh, you know, what what you call traditional schooling. But what is missing is understanding what, what does learning mean? Let me, let me give you an example. Okay. All the things about mindfulness and about understanding others and about and about empathy and about uh, connecting to others, which we feel that are not there, are all possible from learning history and learning uh, literacy, from novels, from history and from literature. Okay. If we go back to teaching history and literature the way they should be taught, then we will be able to gain all these all these skills that we have i believe are lost and un- unfortunately in a generation because when you learn history properly and you learn history not to take an exam you know what i mean yeah. and it's not it's not just a, a events it's exactly. not just a couple of events yeah. that you have to learn and you have but learning history as a lesson for the future understanding history as a lesson for the future What's happening nowadays is there is a lot of focus on individualism, on success. Okay. There's a lot of talk about success, but there's very little talk about failure. There's a l- very little talk about how to deal with failure, mm. how to deal with, with uh, difficulty, how to deal with, with difficulty like Corona now. Sure, we yeah. are in a state where yeah. people are panicking. Why are they panicking? Because probably they don't have the skills of how to deal with with. with adversities i mean this is not something that has never happened to people before it has happened in the in the in yeah, in history SARS and all that it kind happened of stuff, yeah, in yeah. in his and, and and go back yeah. go back influenza before cholera whatever yeah, yeah, all yeah, these yeah, yeah. Sure. what did people do how did people deal with that this is what we need to bring back into our schools is understanding both i tell you two subjects that people are looking down on unfortunately these days is history and literature Mm. In our education, remember in your education, was there an emphasis on history and literature? Not was really. there emphasis on the novels and what you learn from these novels? On, on and really re- learning mindfulness and learning empathy and learning problem solving and lear- problem solving. And, and nowadays we talk about problem solving this and that and critical thinking. This is all possible by looking at history and literature. Okay. If we can go back 
to give value to those two subjects, then we can really change the generation with technology. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. I, I love. I love using technology. I enjoy it. I think it opens doors. It opens minds. It allows me to communicate. I mean, this podcast yeah. is because of technology. Hopefully, sure. people might listen to it and reflect on it. Okay, and so I, I'm all for technology. But what if we just not throw away? what we really had as values, civic values. We, our, our education need to teach civic values, which is responsibility, mm. responsibilities. Are we teaching responsibility in schools? Are we teaching students to be responsible citizens in schools? Mm. This is, again, need, we, we have, for example, moral education now in the, in the UAE. This is something new. It's a wonderful move. It's an excellent move. And I like it because it is away from religion and mm-hmm. i don't mean away from religion uh, um, let me i mean away from a specific religion sure yeah okay so it is it's actually it is it is global yeah. it is in, it come it encompasses all religions because mm-hmm. the values in all religions are the same but we need to learn it as a civic duty mm-hmm. we need to learn it as a responsibility towards ourselves towards towards our creator sure. and towards others we need to be more respons- we need to teach our children that success is not an individual thing success is collective success is us is not me. me and i think corona is teaching us that if we take really the biggest lesson of that is that we can only beat it if we all we'll do it together do it together mm. it's not going to work this is the only way it works if we all take responsibility if one person is still not taking responsibility a thousand can be affected, affected. Mm-hmm. i mean what better lesson can you think of i mean i think this is the best civic lesson that you can ever give and i hope we keep on thinking about it and reflecting on it so I'm still, I'm still with traditional schooling from that point only, okay, from, that from that point, from that, perspective. from that perspective of the importance of literature and history mm-hmm. for our students and teaching them in a way of reflective teaching, understanding them as to, to, to be able to get from them all the values and the morals and the responsibilities that our students nowadays, our people need to, that we need to think that we are not living in under the law it's not the law that is it's not it's not the law that should tell us what to do it's our moral compass that tells mm. us what to do yeah you're and empowering people in that way you're taking it into yourself exactly take the responsibility so when i see something wrong that is happening it's out of my values that I don't accept it that i don't do it not because everyone's doing it i'm going oh, it's okay well i can get away from the law you know, I can do this. I can cheat my way. And especially with, with the amount of fake news that we've been living in and the cheating and the lying and, and, and make the li- lying has become okay somehow for the last few years. And, and all this, I think, is going to change now. You think and so? And coronavirus is the one that is giving us this lesson now. That's the catalyst. I think so. Because you have to, be, you have to say the truth. If you have it, you have to say you have it. You yeah. see, you can't lie your way. That's because true, it's yeah. going to show that you have it. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is the lesson that we have to think about now. Yeah, forcing people to be accountable, responsible. Yes, accountable and responsible, exactly. Yeah. So when I think of uh, traditional schooling, that, that, you know, that whole journey, I sometimes reflect back and I try to think, okay, what did that teach me? What did I you know, learn from that? 
the biggest thing that I see or the biggest importance I see of schooling and going to school for children is the social aspect mm-hmm. is, you know, learning how to deal with teachers, learning, having a schedule, having discipline, having assignments. But from an ed- from an education perspective, I know you mentioned history and li- literature. Those two things could teach us so much about, you know, my, mm-hmm. like all this empathy and mindfulness and so on. But I'm curious to hear from you. Wh- how would you explain uh, the importance of uh, your child still going through that educational process mm-hmm. and not, you know, because some people could be like, okay, I'll, I could homeschool my child. There's enough information on the internet. Mm-hmm. I could, they could learn mm-hmm. things maybe that they're good at. You know, I feel school doesn't empower you to because it's designed to fit everyone. Mm. So it doesn't empower you to maybe pursue or take into account what you're good at and kind of help mm. help you excel in that. So what would you say to that? Okay, well, this is the problem maybe that you see in traditional schooling, and I agree with you. Uh, the new way of schooling, or the let's say the modern way of schooling, and what yeah. where we are taking our teachers now is towards personalized learning. Yeah. And personalized learning is looking at the student and understanding the needs of the students. There are... Th- there in, in helping my teachers to, to develop these new skills, we always say we start by knowing our students as learners, knowing ourselves as teachers, and knowing our curriculum. So these three, uh, and actually the fourth one would be knowing our colleagues, because together we have to work together. Mm-hmm. For a school to be successful, you need co- it's a collaborative effort. Yeah. It's not one teacher is doing something. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a book. It's called How to Teach Now by Powell and Powell. Okay. And I, I consider this that this is really one of the best books I've read. Uh, not best, but one of the best. Sure. <laughs> yeah, a lot of sure. other very good books. Sure. But the nice thing about this book is that it's an easy read and yet such a rich read. So th- schools have to start by knowing our students knowing our students as learners. And this is something that starts from the beginning. This is what teachers are learning to do now, paying attention at their students, paying attention at their needs, paying atten- attention at, at what they bring to the classroom, and then, and then redesigning the experiences in the classroom to include everyone. Mm-hmm. But it's not just the classroom. I mean, we have to also look at all the extracurricular that the students do in schools nowadays. Schools nowadays are giving great extracurricular activities. There's so much there. There's so much. And the one that I would like to focus on is um, service learning. Service which, learning. Yeah, that has found its its way to schools nowadays. I can't say it's, do, it's done well yet, but it has found it. It's, uh, I, I'll, call, I'll talk about it in a minute. Sure. But so we're talking about the school, the, the classroom. In the classroom, the students are learning content, knowledge, skills, but they're also learning to be self-directed. And that is something that the teacher would, would try to instill in her students, is to become self-directed learners. Because mm. you're going to leave the classroom, but you want to be a self-directed learner. You want to be able to learn on your, uh, by yourself. By yourself, yeah. By yourself and with others. Okay, so self-directed learner, that's where technology comes in. Because, mm. yes, the, I am teaching at school, but the, the, the experience does not finish in the classroom. The kind of assignments that I give my students, they can be individual assignments where they have to do something on their own, so it's continuous, but collaborative assignments. And collaborative assignments are possible now also online, online as well. Yeah. So students, might, we don't have the problem of we cannot meet anymore because there is collaborative way. Of course, this provided technology is available because we have the haves and the haves nots of course which is a big problem really as well, still yeah. in the world 
so this is this is this, this is the classroom. This is the model classroom that I see now. I'll tell you. I'll give you my model way of. This is what my teachers, my teachers, I say, my teachers keep saying, my student teachers keep saying. But this model world that you show us all the time, I said, well, we have to look at a model mm -hmm. and we try to work towards it. Okay. So this is, this is, you're providing the students with the safe space in the classroom where they can really be themselves so that you know them, so mm -hmm. that you can personalize for their needs. Okay. That's one. Continuous learning outside the classroom with collaboration because you give a lot of teamwork for the students. But we have to be careful how to design these to be collaborative, but to be also uh, account students. All Everyone is accountable. Everyone is responsible. And that's not easy. No. When you design such uh, such teamwork. I'm sure you remember when you did some teamwork at university, sometimes some one will work and the others will just uh, be there. 100%. You know? well, 100%. That's, that, that's, that's a mistake on, on behalf of the teacher because the way you design the project has to be where everyone is accountable. Mm. Okay, so that's in the design, in of, the design that, of it. In the design of mm. it. So th this is the teacher and the students. And then you have all the extracurricular. Being part of teams in the schools, that's teaching the students something. Being and, and, and the school, a big problem here, if the school, the school um, uh, focuses on competitiveness rather than, rather than um, a collaboration or rather than a participation. Mm. If it's competition, and uh, the focus is competition and not participation. While if the focus is participation, then everyone has a chance. Mm. Yes, we want to be competitive, of course, but it shouldn't be the focus. Um, uh, yes, we, we need to sometimes to have this elite team that has to compete, you know, on the level of the other schools, and mm -hmm. uh, that's fine. But as long as everyone has a chance to participate as well, that's very important. Now, I want to t so, so this takes care of all the community work, and, but the service learning is something which is new coming up. Yeah. Service learning is about how to be of service to your community, first community in school, and then community in the outside. How to be a responsible citizen. Okay. So the schools actually de de design, or teachers design activities, design projects for students to serve humanity, mm -hmm. to serve the, their classrooms, to serve their schools, and to serve the world outside. A lot of schools have taken that on, and what I see in schools, especially in elite schools, is they send them to Thailand, they send them to Kenya, they send them to Africa, you know, and Asia to go and do, they go build a school community for work, yeah. community work. Mm -hmm. The problem is the kids come back and because they are so privileged here in Dubai, they come back as they go. Nothing has changed. They haven't learned anything. I sat with a lot of these kids because I was really intrigued about what do they learn when really? they go on such trips. The okay. parents pay so much money for them. And the parents are so proud. Oh, they went to Kenya. And, uh, and they come back and I sit with these kids and I'm talking about 13, 14 years old. What did you learn? Oh, we had, oh, it was nice. You know, these kids, poor kids. Oh, but they're so cute. And we did, and I was like so shallow. Mm. But what did you learn? What did you learn? Has anything changed in you? When you saw people who don't have the privileges that you have. Did you learn anything? Did you know why you went there? It, you didn't just go to paint houses and to provide meals. You learned to be responsible of others. Are you going to take this experience to make you more of a responsible citizen in the future? Later in life when you are a CEO of a company, are, are you going to 
pay your duty to people who have less than you? Mm. Are you going to change things? So that, are you going to think in that direction? This is what, but again, whose responsibility is this? It's the educators. Have these kids gone through learning about what they are going to do when they go out there? Or they're just doing it, is it, tran- you see, the problem is that it becomes transactional. Yeah, one for, I'll do this. For transactional. Ex- yeah. One, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. There's no reflection. There's no thinking. There's no transformation. Kids, when they go on service learning, they have to know that we are going to do this because we want to be transformed. We mm. want to become better. We want to become more responsible. We want to have more empathy. So from what, uh, it sounds like from what you're saying, it's the responsibility of the teacher for, and to use the example of those children going mm-hmm. on those trips to create maybe that awareness. Yes. The awareness yes. so that when you're going, I know, okay, I'm going for this reason mm-hmm. and this reason. So you're more, there's a better chance that you might appreciate and what you're actually And there has to be built-in exercises throughout the, uh, throughout the experience, built-in exercises of reflection of reflection and critical thinking of what are we doing why are we doing it how can we be how can we change mm. how can because come back here okay we're privileged here but not everyone is privileged here there are so many ways of be, being a, a responsible citizen here that we can do and we have to look at these mm. and try to change it and i think and i've seen schools here that have really transformed and have become and not necessarily the top tier schools There are schools that don't have the means, but they have responsibility Mm. and they have this transformative way of thinking. Yeah. Mm. I wanted to take the conversation to university because I think that's where we met. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, talk about that experience because so what I if I think back to, let's say, when I was in high school applying for university and everyone, you know, people ask, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to study? You'd say engineering, you'd say business, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. And then after you go to university, you get a degree in something and from then you go out into the real world and you do nothing that is related to anything Mm -hmm. that you did before. So the question I start asking myself and the question that, you know, I've heard Mm -hmm. people talking about is, is university still important? Okay, maybe the schooling, uh, the Mm -hmm. traditional schooling, I understand because you're forming a person. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you're a full formed person by 18, Mm -hmm. but you, you know, you need those skills to be to reach that level. So. And so is university just that piece of paper that you need, Mm. you know, to get a job? Is Mm. it still providing the value that it claims to, you know, I guess, provide to people? I think universities have to transform. And there's a lot of universities are definitely on their way to transforming to provide a real, real education. The problem nowadays is that you hear a lot about the jobs and the employment and, and university and you hear voices that are really scary where you hear that we have to teach what the industry needs and i see this as you know we have to provide graduates to serve the industry and i find that frightening because i find that beats completely the essence of education higher education i think higher education is not should not be to provide um, to provide workforce. I don't think this is what higher education is for. Um, yes, we need to provide, yes, we need to educate students in all different kinds of uh, majors mm. because we need people to be thinkers in all ways. But we need to think about something very important is 
Think about it if all universities think in that way. Where are the inventions going to come from? Where is the creativity going to come from? Where is the, uh, where is the development going to come from if it doesn't come from higher education? Because if we are going to serve industry, I believe that industry has to serve us. I believe that universities should be in the lead and in industry is the one that is, we'll follow suit. is following because we're supposed at university to be the ones providing the inventions that industry depends on. <laughs> it shouldn't be the other way around. Mm -hmm. So this is a problem. When you, when, when, and it's a global problem. It's not just here. It's a global problem. I believe that higher education is not to find jobs. But the problem happens in the advising to start with, in advising students. Advising them. Advising them. The problem is I hear students nowadays when they come to university and I would say, why are you, stu why are you studying? Why are you doing this? Uh, because it's the best job I can get. And I say, because I want money. What would pay more? What would be the career that would pay more? I hear that from a lot of 17 and 18 years old. And I would say, well, nobody can tell you that because in four years' time, what pays more could be completely different if I want to go with the way you think, yeah. although I don't believe in that. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. University is not about getting a job. It is about opening doors. It's not about getting a job. Uh, uh, Vartan Gregorian, who is a public thinker, a, pub a public scholar, says something very nice. He says, university or higher education is about finding the meaning of life, giving the students a chance to find the meaning of life, giving them a chance to explore life. It's not about studying something to find a job. And that's why a lot of graduates are disappointed because they thought they're going to study this to get a job. They graduate, and we always sit on the graduation deck every year. Mm -hmm. We look around us as professors, and I say, tomorrow we have 400 unemployed. Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. And 400 unemployed who, has to who have to find jobs, jobs right? Yeah, yeah. I don't mean unemployed in a bad way, but I mean that they have to find jobs. Exactly. Right? It's a new 400 people entering the workforce. But And especially they will become unemployed if they are of the mindset, now I have my degree, where is my job? Mm. You see? Yeah. So I worked for four years because I want a job. Mm -hmm. While if I go into university with a different mindset, because I was advised differently, the mindset is you are going into university to explore a subject that you like, to explore something that you really think you enjoy. To, um, to, to, to develop a skill that you think, or a talent that you think you have. This is why you're going to university. Imagine the difference. Can you see the difference? Yeah. <coughs> I'll give you the example of my son, Talal. Talal has the talent of athletics. He's a very sporty boy in school. He was, his, his top grades were in sports. He did so he got his A's in physics and biology because he had to work so hard but they were not his interest. Actually, physics and biology were his interest because they, the part in them that had to do with athletics, athletics yeah. about the body, about the movement, he was so so, imp so, so involved in that. He, the he got the grades like this in those. He suffered in literature 
because because of the reading it was it was terrible it was difficult but he still worked his way through because he felt that this is the only way to get into university to explore what he likes when he came to university we were on the mindset you need a career so what are you going to study you need a career so and everybody was advising what is he going to do i mean he only likes he only likes listen to the word only he mm. only likes sports and he said, but i only like sports what can i do Thank God there are universities that are enlightened enough to have something called sports science, mm-hmm. sports and, and, and sports and health sciences. Mm-hmm. So, and then a lot of my friends, where their doctors were going, were, uh, sorry, uh, kids were doing engineering and business and uh, architecture and all that, but what would he do with that? My father said, oh, so what is he going to become a teacher? I said, well, he'd be lucky to become a teacher. <laughs> Don't look down on teachers. <laughs> That's another issue, of course. <laughs> but um, but he, he, he said, is that okay? He wasn't sure because all the society around us were putting that down. And I said, you study what you like. What job you're going to get, what career you're going to get. We're, well, let's worry about this four years later. You are going to study what you like, what you enjoy, because I believe this is how you succeed, if you explore what you really love and like. And he did. Now, he came back last year, and he said, okay, I explored what I love. Now I need to make money, because <laughs> I need to <laughs> yeah, make a living. Exactly. But because he explored what he loved, he actually started this thing, which is a freelance thing of training students of of athletics it's called athletics in schools and he's loving it he's enjoying it now uh, the work has stopped because because of the corona but yeah. he's reinventing things he's doing things online so thank mm-hmm. god for technology there you go yeah <laughs> but i mean it's because it's something he loved mm. he didn't sit and say well yeah i have no job now i have to sit at home and i can't do it but he's reinventing himself he's finding ways to do it and i believe this is how university can help us to find to explore what we really love, to reinvent ourselves, to find meaning. It's all in the mindset. You could be studying the same thing, by the way. You could be in the same university. Whether the professors are good or bad, whether the curriculum is good or bad, believe me, this is all, of course it all helps. For sure. But, but, but it depends on you. It's the core. It's you. 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 What do you really want out of your education? A lot of teachers tell me, what am I going to do with my degree? What, what does this degree do for me? Even my, teach, my student teachers, I said the degree does not do anything for you. What are you going to do with this education? What are you going to do with this journey? Yeah. You decide what you want to do. Mm. The other thing about university is university is a place where you meet like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Where you meet people who have, who have background in the subject that you love who have done so much in the subject that you love. So they can help you. They can, they can open doors for you. That's what university should be about, mm. is these doors, these internships that the, the professors can give you, these discussions that you can, the, this, 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 this open space, open, secure, safe space where you can make mistakes. And I keep coming back to making mistakes, mistakes yeah. because this is the only way we can become creative. You know, a lot of people talk about creativity these days. How can we teach creativity? How can I teach creativity? But it's creativity. You can't teach creativity. You can empower creativity. You can, you can 
open doors for creativity to happen, but you don't teach creativity. The on, I believe the only way to teach creativity is to create the space for it. The space. To have the space, the space, the tools, the the discussions, the space to to speak, to think, to, to the the choices, providing the choices and not stifling people into boxes. Mm. It's the only way to allow, and this should happen mm. in schools as well. So. You know, the mindset part that you talked about, I totally agree with. You know, even in my life, I've um, happened at a much later date, but once I changed my definitely mindset. definitely reinvented yourself, Khaled. Uh, Big uh, way. <laughs> I hope so. Oh my I hope God. so. And how? You're an example. You're a model of that, actually. Uh, I hope so. Thank yeah. you. I really Absolutely. appreciate that. Absolutely. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, to tell you the truth, you came in my classroom, in my you came as an example in oh my, really yes, oh, yes. No. I talked about you because you moved from engineering to business yeah, and the then standard. when you graduated <laughs> and then you did something else completely and now look at you you're trying something else because you have a passion yeah. follow your passion no, I, I believe in that so much I totally follow agree your passion uh, the mindset part that you talked about I think is so crucial and I and, and I think it's also important when you mentioned it going into university with that mindset so I think that pre-university stage, maybe grades 11 and mm. 12. The advising in that the, stage. The advising between not just, I think, teachers and advisors in the school, but from parents, parents. as well. Because parents, as you know, as I know, because I live I through it wow. too, you know, mm. you want to study, mm. even at the time when I want to study mm. business, like, what is business? No, you can't study business. It's not, it's not engineering, it's not doctor, it's not you law. You need a profession. Exactly. You need a profession. Exactly. So, how do we? So, what advice would you give to, I guess, parents who have children now about to enter, you know, educate, university? Educate, educate, educate. <laughs> you need to educate the parents, and schools should take that as a, as a really schools and and uh, and us, you know, talk about it. Talk about it. Uh, this is something I speak about all the time with parents, and I speak with teachers because they have a role with parents. Speaking to the children is one thing, but really advising the parents is another. It's a whole and, other ballgame. Uh, yeah, yeah. And schools have should take that responsibility on is speaking to parents. And a lot of schools are taking this responsibility. Oh, really? Because, they, yeah, yeah, they have parents' evenings and not just parents' evening to talk about how the kids are doing. I mean parents, and they bring speakers to the schools. I, I was invited to a number of schools actually to speak to parents as advising them on how to advise their children mm -hmm. and how to, especially looking at the different abilities and different, I look at it from also from a diversity point, from disability point sometimes. Yeah because a lot of parents um, a lot of parents put 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 uh, uh, put low ceilings for their for their kids abilities they think they ca they cannot really do as much as they can because they're afraid okay. they're afraid they oh, okay. they want to protect their kids they're afraid that their kids might fail do you know sometimes failure is the best teacher 100% uh, you know that 1000% <laughs> failure is the best teacher For sure. and we as parents have to become less protective of our kids and we need to be supportive but not protective we need to be there sometimes to maybe guide but only guide let them let them fail mm. it's the best teacher For allow sure. them to maybe we don't have doesn't have to be you know, the biggest of failures. We can still be there to guide, but allow them to fail. I'm curious, so after giving those speak, uh, those Speech talks at uh, those uh, schools and mm. to parents, 
I'm curious to hear what was the feedback that you heard from parents? Did some did most agree with you? Were some yeah. still stuck in that? No, I, I see where she's coming from. But You know, Khalid, the problem nowadays is that we all talk talk a lot more than we do. Sure, and you sure. sit you sit with parents, and I talk about socially, not those gatherings, yeah, yeah. but in socially. Everyone speaks so eloquently about things. You know, they speak with a lot of knowledge. Be- why? Because the knowledge is out there. The big words are out there. Everybody talks about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. But then, but then they smoke in your face. <laughs> okay, I mean, you're smoking, right? That's not mindfulness. You see, this is just a small example. It's just something happened it's a last disconnect. week. <laughs> <laughs> there was a you. lady who was, it was sat there and gave us a long lecture about mindfulness, but she was smoking mm-hmm. in our faces. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's what I mean is that talk is easy, but then they turn around and the advice to their kids is totally different. And that's why this... This conversation has to keep on going, and we have to keep on trying to. Do you know how the best teachers for us nowadays sometimes are our kids because they are holding us responsible for uh, to our words. They hold us responsible. But mom, you said that, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I remember. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, I heard you saying this. So what about me? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is good. Good. We need to be held responsible for our words. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, because it's something I think about as well, and you mentioned it uh, in terms of the parents when they go and meeting with the teachers, it's not about how the kids are doing. So mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about how the kids are doing. Yeah. So do you think that metrics grades mm-hmm. are still important mm-hmm. nowadays? I see the, be- I understand, you know, why, because it's a validation of your, maybe your efforts yeah. in the class, yeah. but that yeah. doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. validate mm-hmm. what I learned mm-hmm. in the class. Mm-hmm. So I see it, in my opinion, Grades could be a barrier to learning. Mm. Grades could stop you from maybe getting to that higher mm. math class and mm. to that higher, mm. better university potentially. Mm. So what would you say around metrics and grades? I agree with what you said totally. Totally, I agree with that. And unfortunately, our education systems are built on metrics, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But, and, and that's what my teachers are suffering from, my student teachers, because they say, okay, you taught us how to differentiate you taught us how to personalize. You taught us how to know our students. But at the end of the day, they all have to sit. We, all, we, we vary the assessment. We do this. But they all have to sit for a high-stake exam at the end. And their grade on that high-stake exam is going, going to decide where they're going to go. And so the parents sometimes are not bothered with everything we do in the classroom to educate the children because they care about that. No, do more past papers because they need to learn how to take that exam. So these are forces that works against each other. Forces that work against each other. We need to find we need to find a way as teachers to still teach the children and not just depend on the metrics. But I can tell you from experience, from working with students, is that, and this is what I tell my teachers, you have the kids for nine months or for seven months or whatever. Yes, they have to take that high-stake exam at the end. But I believe if we personalize the learning during that time and we work hard on reaching all the students, they are going to perform better on the high-stake exams. As long as when we are during the year, when we're working with them, we don't keep those metrics as the most important thing, Mm -hmm. but we focus on their abilities and personalize that experience. If the teacher has that mindset and she speaks, and she will have to speak about it for sure when the parents will come. 
Yes, we will talk about, you know, he's still not performing as well. This is, this is what I would say. He's still not performing as well in the mock exam. But I see his progress in this and I saw his progress in that. His reading has done this. Look at this. I have other metrics. To base off. To base off, mm. to speak about. I have, I have other observations of the student in my classroom. I have other, other data that I've collected about his progress in my classroom that will lead to the being, doing better on, on the, that exam at the end. See? But if I just focus on that paper and keep on working on that paper, then that student have learned to take that exam. That's it. He have not exactly. learned to do anything else. Exactly. No skills, no, no life skills, no, no, no independence, no, no, none of the other things that we talked about for the last two hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. So, but it's, again, it's the mindset of the teacher, believing in what she's doing, mm. believing that this is necessary. Yes, it is necessary for them to do well in that exam so that they can go to university. But, you know, even universities nowadays, they look at your statement. They look at your extracurricular activity. They look at other things. It's not just the grades nowadays. Mm. And I hope more and more of that, especially after this corona now. Again, the corona is giving us a very good lesson. Now, the UK has taken the precedence of cancelling the GCSE and A-levels exams. They said we cannot do them, so we're going to depend on, they're going to depend on the teachers' uh, grading, I think, in the schools. So the teachers' prediction. Okay. Now, the, not, the good thing about the teachers' predictions, yes, they can be inflated sometimes, yes. But you know what? Maybe for, for once in our lifetime, those kids who are well-deserved to go to universities and were stopped because of those A's and B's are going to find their ways in, into higher education. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it is a dilemma, Khaled. Yeah, it is. it's, it's, it it's is. tricky. But the more we are aware of it, the more, the more we have teachers who are teaching with hearts and minds and have that mindset, the more the experience that the students will have will be more transformative and we will have them. We will transform their lives to become better human beings. Yeah. At least believing in themselves. Mm-hmm. Even if they didn't go to that top-notch university, but they graduated believing in themselves and believing in who they are. And that is a lot more important. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of kids, you know, the ones who, with the great A's and all that, they go to university and then they don't do well later. If their whole life was about the grade, you go into the, the wildlife outside and you f- they realize that it was not about the A's. Yeah. It's about knowing how to deal with, with adversity. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think most teachers get into teaching for the right reasons? Because to have such a desire to educate and to and mm. to have a mindset that I just want to teach people mm. how to learn. Oh, that's actually an interesting point. It's uh, it's also a skill to know how to learn, to learn how to learn. Of course. So of course. how would you... Learning ed- how to learn. Yeah, how would you mm. explain mm. to someone mm. that or what advice would you give someone about that? Becoming a teacher is, I think, it has to be a calling. It has to be a feeling of responsibility for the world. Okay. You cannot be a good teacher if you look at teaching as a job. First, it doesn't pay. (laughs) (laughs) That's number one. (laughs) And unfortunately, as well, I mean, I wish it was just it doesn't pay. Unfortunately, it's not even valued in society as it used to be in the old days right that's true so yeah. it's that the 
the profession in itself has has lost its luster and its value mm. okay okay but i blame ourselves as well as teachers where ha- where have we gone wrong where have we gone wrong in the history mm. uh in back in the history how can we bring it back and this is actually a challenge that we have put out for our teachers and it's a challenge it's like a competition not a competition but a challenge and it's a collaborative challenge to okay. come out with solutions and uh, we're thinking about by the end of the year by t- we were thinking by October 2020 you know for with the expo yeah, yeah. To, to bring out the solutions that we came up with oh, how fair. to bring the importance and the value of that profession again but i'll tell you again about about teaching um, the teachers that i meet at least the ones who are in in the program we 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 do a vetting at the beginning which okay. we we don't take teachers only on paper mm. we have to have an interview and the interview is all about why did you become a teacher or why you want to become a teacher okay why okay because that's very important why you do want to become a teacher because if you're becoming a teacher because you need a job then you're in the wrong profession find something else because it is a very 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 demanding profession a very demanding profession it's a profession that does not stop and it's a profession that requires someone with 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 the ability to keep on learning mm-hmm. someone who can be a lifelong learner number one, someone with empathy and compassion someone who does not look for quick gratification okay someone who is willing to someone who is willing to give all you can with all your heart and do not see results because sometimes results come later in life yeah. and i've seen them coming later in life for sure i've seen students who came back to me after years and i might take even 10 years someone who would pick up the phone after 10 years and say remember that thing that you taught me and it was i'm telling you a true story someone called who is now in a very high position in in a company who remember when you taught me access microsoft access <laughs> database yeah, and yeah. i hated it and i never wanted but i did well because i wanted the a you know what i'm using it now <laughs> and i can't believe my employees are amazed that i know how to use it and i just want to say thanks to you Wow. You know, this is 10 years later. So you have to be prepared to, as, as uh, I can't remember the scholar's name. He said, you change eternity. Teachers change eternity. Because the change that you make is something that is so propagated mm-hmm. in the world. But you have to believe in that. Yeah. You have to believe in that and not wait to see the quick results. Mm. You have okay. to be patient. You have to be patient. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Patience, 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 patience. <laughs> As a teacher, I can't imagine how much patience, patience you must need. And you need to love what you do. You need to, it, it is, teaching is a calling, a mm. calling that you answer and you live and you love. And uh, a lot of my friends, um, and they say, with a PhD, you can do this and you can do that. And you are, you know, but um, how much do they pay you at university? I said, this is not something that we can even discuss. Mm-hmm. This is off the table completely. Sure. The hours we put is has nothing to do with that because the the it is something else. It is definitely not something that you can touch. Not monetary at all. At all, it is something that it's the work of the heart and the mind. Mm-hmm. That's what teaching is. And if teachers, and that's why you have great teachers in your schools. If I'm sure, if you look back, you'll remember good teachers that made a difference for you in school. Maybe even in KG. Maybe in, yeah. in elementary. Mm-hmm. There are teachers you will never forget. 
because they have touched your hearts. Mm-hmm. And this is what we, t- we hope for. This is what we hope for. This is where education should be. And we have examples. I mean, when you look at the example of Finland, and it is, uh, it is one of the top uh, uh, education systems, and when you look how, how teachers, th- it's really pers- all about personalized learning, it's about teachers who do not stop learning because their professional development and and uh, preparation is very very um, very deep and uh, what's the word I want to use? It's uh, it's continuous mm-hmm. and it is. Uh, they take care of it. All teachers have to be prepared very deeply and with a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's really the teacher is yeah. the main catalyst in the Finland system. And number two is, is they don't care about, about uh, the, uh, uh, as you said, metrics are not the most important thing in, in the Finland system. And despite that, in spite of that, the kids perform best. Interesting. Yeah, th- this is why there is an example that it works. It works that uh, by by really focusing on the human being. So I wanted to ask you a question about particularly about Dubai. So a lot of kids here, and I was and me too, when we went to school, we all had tutors mm. after school. Yes. And listen, I tutors are fine. Mm. If you need a help in a certain subject mm. for a limited period of time, they're mm. fine. But even per speaking from my experience, I had almost I had like two schools basically. You go to school and then come back with another one. And to be honest, later later in life and mm. like university mm. and even with work, that independence was mm. lost, mm-hmm. and it was a big challenge for me to develop it, you know, myself. So, what would you say to I know the I guess the community here who talk who have tutors. I'm going to say something that might be shocking. I wish we can ban it. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. Really? Okay. You know why? Because if it is not there, then as you said, teachers in the schools will take more responsibility, and students will take more responsibility. I'm sorry to tell you that even teachers in schools now. F- knowing that a lot of the students have tutors and them actually are tu- they're, yeah, they themselves, are actually yeah, themselves yeah. are tutors have have um, taken less responsibility of what's happening in the classroom and did not push the students far enough to become lifelong learners Exactly. Yeah. This is the thing because a lot of students, like you, Khalid, you could have done it on your own. Like 100%. my kids, yeah. my, I, I am guilty, guilty. I'm one of them. Yeah, I'm yeah. guilty. Yeah. I took the easy way out because for me, as a parent, it was the easy way out. And uh, but I wish I didn't, because my son, when he went to university, and there were no tutors there, although there were tutors there, but he decided I'm not going to have tutors. That's it. I'm going to work on my own and I don't care about the A. Now I'm in university. I don't care about it. And I was so happy he did that. And I didn't care about the A either. I wanted him to have a full a full university life one one thing and I wanted him also to be responsible of his work and to be indep- uh, to become independent. an independent learner. Exactly. But and I didn't care about uh, him getting you know the top of his class or all that and unfortunately in school i did care because i wanted him to go to a good university you know yeah. at that time yeah maybe going back maybe i would have maybe i would tackle it differently but really what's happening with you because of and it had become a competition i see it among my society here a competition who has the best tutor between moms 
Oh, really? Yes. Who has the best tutor? Oh, get that tutor, you know. And I see them. The tutors become so so tired because they're going from one house to another. Even the quality of tuition has gone down. Gone down exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. With that, mm. so it's 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 really a very very bad practice, and it only becomes more and more. Two two factors: schools are not taking responsibility of 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 actually the the level of teaching that's happening in the classroom. Number two, the dependence on on metrics and academics so much that it has become like a crazy competition yeah yeah well nadira uh <laughs> first of all thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your expertise with us uh, i really appreciate it and i've honestly learned so much in this <laughs> conversation so it's been great well it's been great talking to you Khaled. i really enjoyed it uh, i really really enjoyed it it's uh, wonderful talking to you thank you i'm thank glad you for the opportunity what would you say last few words of advice for our listeners something they could take away um i would say we need to look into ourselves all of us as teachers and we need to teach our students if anything one more important skill is to reflect to reflect to reflect so because reflect we can learn so much through reflection i totally agree thank you <laughs> thank you so much for your time nadia and uh, to everyone thank you guys for listening and as always hope it helps Peace.